This is the internet channel for the study of Hegel. And here is your host, Robert Vane. Before we dive into the text of the philosophy of rights dealing with property, let's just review some of the most important elements of the concept of freedom. Starting with paragraph 4 of the philosophy of rights, the introduction. The territory of right is in general the spiritual, and its more definite place and origin is the will, which is free. Thus, freedom constitutes the substance and essential character of the will, and the system of right is the kingdom of actualized freedom. It is the world of spirit which is produced out of itself and is a second nature. So that defines the scope of our studies. We're going to talk about the actualization of freedom. And freedom here is explained as the substance and essential, essential character of the will. So we are presupposing the free will in the philosophy of right, and we are developing as the system of right the actualization of that freedom. More to the point, that is a world of spirit which is produced out of itself, is like a second nature, therefore it is objective spirit, as Hegel already has explained in the Encyclopedia. Paragraph 5 now gives us the first characteristic of the free will in its abstract nature, just the concept of the free will in itself. The will contains the element of pure indeterminateness, i.e. the pure doubling of the I back in thought upon itself. So it's this self-awareness of the will. I know myself as wanting something. In this process, every limit or content, present though it be directly by way of nature, as in want, appetite or impulse, or given in any specific way, is dissolved. So when I just reflect on the fact that I want something, and this something is in a way inessential, it could be anything, then I'm left with this pure form of the I want. I want something, whatever it is. And so this I want is indeterminate in itself. It can be made determinate by choosing an object, but it's in itself pure indeterminateness, indeterminateness. The remainder of paragraph 5, thus we have the limitless infinitude of absolute abstraction or universality, the pure thought of itself. Now, abstraction means that we withdraw from the specific objects that we want, into the um, formality, the abstract nature of the act of wanting itself. That is how we discover what free will is. It's the ability to want anything that we want. But of course the subject of the free will is always um, going forward from this indefiniteness, indeterminacy, to something distinct and definite. It has a definite content and object. So 
I'm not just uh, discovering that I want and can want just about anything, but I always want something in particular. Therefore, Hegel says, the I is also the transition from blank indefiniteness to the distinct and definite establishment of a definite content and object, whether this content be given by nature or produced out of the conception of spirit. So it's the object here before me, say an apple, or it's something that I dream of, that I conceive in my mind, like um, going somewhere. Through this establishment of itself as a definite thing, the I becomes reality. The free will is only a reality when it has a definite object. This is the absolute element of the finitude or specialization of the I. So this is the moment, the logical moment of particularity. What we call the free will is the unity of these two moments. I would prefer the word moments here to uh, translate the German word momente, which means um, movements. The will is the unity of these two elements. It is particularity turned back within itself and thus led back to universality. So we discover that we want all sorts of things, we abstract from those things, and then we discover the universal nature of the free will, which is the ability, the ability to want anything. It is individuality, that is the translation of Einzelheit, it is the self-direction of the I. I would prefer the self-determination of the I. Uh, so I, who can want anything, that is my universality, want something in particular, that is my particularity, and I become aware that I'm able to choose, particularize myself, and then withdraw myself again within my universality. I want this, I no longer want it, I want something else. So there is negativity all the way. First in the abstract moment, I negate the particular objects that I want, then in the particularity uh, where I arrive, I can um, again uh, negate the universality of it, I become focused on the object I want, and then in the individuality, I negate both of them and affirm both of them. I am in my free will able to determine myself as wanting this or that in particular. And at the same time, I'm aware of the fact that I can withdraw my will, can turn back onto myself and just experience the freedom of my will as such, and then move on to some other object that I want. Thus, at one and the same time, it establishes itself as its own negation, that is to say, is definite and limited, and it also abides by itself in its self-identity and universality, and in this position remains purely self-enclosed. So it's not the object that is soliciting the freedom of the will, it's not nature that determines my free will. My free will is something that is fully enclosed into itself in the sense that what I ultimately can say that I want is my free will itself. It's the free will that wants itself to be free. The I determines itself as far as it is, as it is the reference of negativity to itself. Uh, the I that 
is um, apparent, is present in the act of the free will, is nothing but the center of this negative activity. It has no contents in itself whatsoever. And yet in this self-reference it is indifferent to its own definite character. Well, I just said that. It's purely formal and abstract. It has no own, not a, a, a singular, a particular contents. This it knows as its own. Uh, so I know that the particularity of my will is to be able to want anything I like, to be able to want something and then to withdraw from that again, etc. This it knows as its own and that is as an ideal or a mere possibility. I am able to want something. I am not forced to want something all the time. To want something is not an instinct or a life mechanism, it's not something organic, it's something of the spirit. So freedom is also present in the fact that I'm free not to want something, um, by which it is not bound, but rather exists in it merely because it establishes itself there. This is the freedom of the will, constituting its conception or substantive reality. It is its gravity, as it were, just as gravity is the substantive reality of a body. The freedom of the will is um, just what it is. It's there, it's apparent, it's working, but maybe it is not yet fully understood. Then Hegel, after treating various forms of the will, the natural will and the arbitrary will, uh, all of these abstract forms of the will, comes to the notion of the absolute will, the absolute character of the free will, in paragraph 27. The absolute character, or if you like, the absolute impulse of the free spirit is, as has been observed, that its freedom shall be for it an object. So that is what is moving within the free will. It wants to, uh, uh, in a way, objectify itself. That is its inner urge. It wants to present itself with a world that is wanted, um, in the sense that it is the full realization of what it wants. It wants to come to rest in a certain sense. It is to be objective in a twofold sense. It is the rational system of itself, and this system is to be directly, directly real. So it is the unpacking of its inner contents with the intent to make that into a reality, to live in a world that is fully determined by this inner contents of the will. Um, notice that we move here toward the opposite of uh, something that Hegel said in paragraph 5, and that is that the I of the I want is totally bereft of content, it's purely abstract form. But its inner drive is toward um, uh, a uh, freedom that is totally recognized within the world around us, so that there is no tension and no opposition between my free will and the world in which I live. That is the free will that realizes itself as such, and it can only do so when it not goes beyond itself, but actually turns into itself and discovers its own inner content, and then uh, discovers that content within the world around it. Um, 
more to the point maybe, we must say that the world that freedom is looking for is the world in which the conditions for itself as freedom are fully realized. So the world that we are talking about, reality that we're talking about, is the reality of a world that fully provides all the conditions, all the conditions are met in order to be fully free and to express oneself within that objective reality. There is thus actualized as idea what a will is implicitly. So we have this fully, uh, full identity of the subjective and the objective, which is what Hegel means by the technical term idea. Um, and what is now turning into an idea? Everything that the will implicitly is. So what first appears as the abstract I of the will, the abstract notion of freedom or as natural freedom, uh, now becomes apparent in the world that human beings create for themselves as an expression of their freedom and as uh, a system of the conditions of their freedom. Hence the abstract conception of the idea of the will is in general the free will which wills the free will. The free will, the urges, the drive to freedom, um, wills the free will that is wants to express itself as liberty, wants to express itself as concrete, real will um, that manages also to overcome the apparent opposition between various individual wills that um, amounts to creating institutions that uh, further the cause of liberty, that are the conditions of liberty, etc. Why am I talking about liberty now in some sense? Because as soon as we're talking about the relationship between the various individual wills, um, and as soon as we're talking about a society that is the realization of all of these necessary conditions, then in English the word liberty seems to be far more um, uh, acceptable and useful than the word freedom is. Um, in German it's just Freiheit. Uh, so German does not have this difference between um, uh, liberty and freedom that in English plays a big role here. So now we can see why Hegel's social philosophy is a philosophy of right. Because now we can come to a full definition of right. In paragraph 29, that a reality is the realization of the free will, this is what is meant by, and scratch this, this scratch this, it's not a right. Um, Hegel's text says das Recht, so it uses um, the determinate uh, article. This is what is meant by right. Right, therefore, is in general freedom as idea, so freedom as both subjective and objective, and um, these both also in identity with one another. So why are we talking about a philosophy of right? Because the free will has this urge to realize itself, to produce a, an objective world of institutions in which its freedom is actualized, has become a reality, so it can recognize itself in its world 
and it has all the conditions of its um, own freedom uh, present and active. That is what we talk about when we talk about rights. So the objective conditions and forms of the actualization of the free will. So right, therefore, is in general freedom as idea. So we have here the philosophy of the freedom as idea. We are going to discuss very soon now the um, first categories of um, abstract right, the first stage of the development of the system of right. Paragraph 40 gives us some clues as to what we will find there. Right is at first a simple and direct concrete existence which freedom gives itself directly. So the immediate form of right, of this idea of uh, human freedom, is connected to a concrete existence of something. This unmodified existence is a possession or property, that will be our first category to discuss. Here freedom is that of abstract will in general, or of a separate person who relates himself only to himself through something other than himself, and that is the whole idea of possession, it, he, who relates himself only to himself through the mediation of a thing that is possessed, a property. Then the second stage of abstract right, a person by distinguishing himself from himself, so here we have relates himself only to himself through the mediation of an object which is possession, but by distinguishing himself from himself, so by again removing himself from this actualized concrete will um, to return to its own universality, it can withdraw its will from its object, it can um, leave its property behind, or it can give its property away, or it can um, uh, trade, it can buy something else, etc. Um, by distinguishing himself from himself becomes related to another person. So when we give up possession or we acquire possession, that of course already means that we have a relationship to other persons. Although the two have fixed existence for each other except as owners. So we have a determinate existence of someone else, um, but the ownership um, is not something that has a fixed existence, that is something that is presupposed. Their implicit identity becomes realized through transference of property by mutual consent and with the preservation of their rights. So, um, B gives his possession to A, that is a transference of property, but it's with the preservation of their rights because B is demanding something in return, either um, a monetary compensation, he's buying the thing, or selling the thing in this case, I must say, or uh, there is another object that is supposed to be transferred from B to A. Now then C, the will in his reference to itself, because it can also um, go back into its universality uh, from within the contract, the will in his reference to itself as in A, which is the pure possession, 
maybe at variance not with some other person, B, but within itself. I can contradict myself. As a particular will, it may differ from and be in opposition to its true and absolute self. This is wrong and crime. So this is injustice. Um, B and A have a contract, and B has to give something to A, and A has to give something in return, and then A refuses. So it remains in possession of whatever it was supposed to transfer to someone else. So we have the possibility of crime arising from this character of freedom itself. Freedom is able to return into itself, to departicularize itself and become universal again. It can negate its own act of will. It can negate its own volition. If it cannot, it is not free. But if it can, there is this possibility of crime. That is what we absolutely need to know before we start uh, reading the paragraphs, uh, starting from paragraph 41, about the concept of property. I hope you enjoyed this, and I see you next time when we dive into the concept of possession or property.